there are so many priorities for us. It has to be getting to net zero and decarbonizing as quickly as possible. And that requires an energy transition and investment in energy. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects millions of people around the world. This week, we're talking about investing in sustainable development to help protect our planet. Calls are growing more urgent for more spending on a clean energy future and more support for developing countries bearing the brunt of climate change. Trillions of dollars in investment are needed to meet climate and development goals, but just a small part of that money is now flowing. At the same time, the energy crisis is raising fears that many countries will postpone plans to shift from fossil fuels into cleaner, renewable energy. On top of it all, many countries must also contend with issues around debt, food security and basic infrastructure. The link between investment, development and the environment is now a driving theme, not least at the upcoming COP28 Global Climate Conference. So how can we step up the investment we need for a sustainable future? Well, joining me now is economist Joseph Clements, who has been working on sustainable investment at UNCTAD for the last 12 years. Joe likes swimming outdoors, Swiss trains and the London Review of Books. And he supports the Sheffield United football team. Also here is Anthony Miller, Chief of Section of the Division on Investment and Enterprise and the Lead Coordinator of the United Nations Sustainable Stock Exchanges Initiative. Anthony volunteers for a children's surgical charity and enjoys gardening and brewing his award-winning beer. Well, a bit early in the morning for that, perhaps, Anthony. Climate change is clearly a pressing international issue. So where are we now with the priority areas and actual investment in solutions? Joe, I'll come to you first on that. Thanks, Sarah. Where do you start when you read that six out of nine planetary boundaries have recently already been passed? And, you know, you look at climate this year, what's been happening and record-breaking temperatures and surpassing 1.5 degrees for an entire month in July already. There are so many priorities. I think for us, it has to be net zero. It has to be as getting to net zero and decarbonizing as quickly as possible. And that requires an energy transition and investment in energy. So you ask about actual investments. This is a difficult question because there are so many different definitions and sources here. If you look at investments in renewables, they've tripled since 2015, but most of this money has gone to developed countries. Our research, UNCTAD, shows that If you look at developing countries, they're lagging behind. 30 developing countries still haven't even registered a large uh, investment project in in renewables. The IEA, the International Energy Agency, they say that global renewable energy investments were 1.7 trillion last year. But this is uh, about the same amount that developing countries alone need. We're way off the target, but there are some sort of hopeful signs. And I think the investments are definitely on uh, renewables are increasing. I'll ask Anthony this. What are the various facets of sustainable investment? Where are the bright spots and the perhaps areas that need more attention? Thanks, Sarah. I think with sustainable finance, there's two key pillars of activity. One is leveraging the instruments of financial markets to improve corporate behavior and align corporate behavior with investor demands and broader societal mandates. 
The other aspect is a very simple question of moving money from point A to point B. One of the challenges, particularly with portfolio investment, and it's important to break apart these different types of investments, but if what you're seeing with stock exchanges, stock markets, bond markets, that sort of thing. Most of this money is going in circles in deep pools of capital in North America and Europe. There are very few pipelines between these deep pools of capital and emerging markets, particularly Africa, developing Asia, Latin America, that sort of thing. So that is a critical challenge to help to open up those pipelines of capital. But of course, that involves a number of things to help de-risk some of those investments. The other thing I would say, too, is that there is a little bit of a chicken or egg situation, which comes first, the project or the project financing. So if you People imagine sometimes that a giant institutional investor is going to major, wave a magic wand and say, I'm going to put a trillion dollars into Africa tomorrow. A trillion dollars where exactly? You know, with a trillion dollars, you could buy almost every public company in all of Africa. You know, and then what? We all have been suffering here around the world with multiple crises. And UNCTAD says developing countries aren't getting the investment they need. Where is the money going to come from and how are these countries going to meet their sustainable development goals? It's a proverbial trillion dollar question uh, or more. Well, you know, Anthony mentioned, where do uh, investors put their money and the markets are in North America and Europe? That's even true for African investors. If you look at the continent, there's about 1.3 trillion of funds, African pension funds, whose money leaves the continent to be invested in products in Europe and North America. Anthony mentioned de-risking investments. UNCTAD did some research on this and, and recommends that in order to lower the cost of capital that might address this issue of risk return profiles and, and de-risking, that, for example, multinational development banks, if they're involved in the financing of a project, they can lower the cost of capital by about 10%. And if this is done with governments and public-private partnerships, it can reduce by up to 40%. And I think some of the money, you ask where it's coming from, some of that can come from the countries themselves. I think there is money there in investments in places, uh, developing countries in, in Africa, for example, that could stay in the continent if uh, there were the investments and the, uh, the financial architecture to keep it there. Beyond idealism about a greener future, what are the incentives and opportunities for investors and finance providers in a more sustainable economy? Now, Anthony, that's particularly your area, I think. First. When we think about a greener future, I wouldn't characterize that about idealism. It's very much a practicality. For investors, the world is going through a moment that you can characterize as a great filter. Uh, not everybody is going to pass through the other side of this filter. So we are transitioning to a net zero world. We're either going to do that or societies are going to have a challenge merely surviving. So this is a very serious existential problem for humanity, and it's the challenge of the 21st century. Investors do have to ask themselves a question, and particularly pension funds, which are the bulk of the market of institutional investors, they're looking out 10, 20, 30 years. So on that timescale, you do have to ask a question, how much of the market is even going to exist? And if you are running a company, you have to ask yourself the question, is my company going to exist? Am I going to pass through this great filter? So, Joseph, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's just inevitable we have to get to net zero and we're going in that direction. And as Tony says, you know, if you don't pass through that filter, you're not going to make it. And what's extraordinary is that still, you know, 
oil companies who are making huge profits last year of the rise in the price of oil uh, are not transitioning fast enough. They're only spending about 5% of those profits in renewables and moving into becoming you know, energy companies uh, rather than oil and gas companies. And not just for these companies, but others as well, they need to, to transition faster. There's also government incentives that can help in this respect. And you know what's slightly depressing is that fossil fuel subsidies are still eight times greater than those for renewables. These are policy areas that government can actually leave us, that government can use to quickly change or to accelerate the transition. In many cases, it's just not happening fast enough. How can stock exchanges and other capital markets support sustainable investment and what influence can they actually exert more broadly? Exchanges sit at the intersection point of capital markets. They sit between security market regulators, uh, between issuers, that's companies that are, are listed in the exchange, and investors. They do not have a magic wand to change the world, but they do have tremendous convening power and they do have to work with all of these parties to establish the rules of the road and ensure that markets function. In that sense, exchanges are playing a very big role in coming out with new rules around sustainability disclosure to better inform investors about the material risks of climate and other social aspects so that investors are not walking blind into this great filter that we mentioned. Exchanges also have a traditional role of market education. All of them have been doing this for decades before anybody ever heard of sustainable finance. That's because being a listed company is complicated. There are a lot of rules. Nowadays, exchanges have introduced sustainability into their general market education programs, so they're helping to shift the entire market into a newer dynamic of a net zero world. Looking at the current state of investment, development, and the environment, what scares you most? And where do you see signs of hope? Let's end on a positive note. So, Joseph, what do you think? Okay, well, I'll give you the hope and maybe Tony can scare us. There are so many signs of hope. So, for example, uh, something that uh, strikes me as particularly positive is that the rate of investment in renewables is increasing faster than for fossil fuels. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not still investment in fossil fuels. It's particularly the upstream production end. But it is being overtaken by uh, investment in renewables. And this has been spurred by things such as the war in Ukraine. There's other signs of hope, such as the Treaty on Plastics last year, the Treaty of the High Seas this year. These are areas where policymakers are taking the environment more seriously. We're going in the right direction, but as I say, it just needs to happen quicker. What about you, Tony? When we look across all corners of the financial markets, whether it's asset owners, insurance companies, bankers, or market infrastructure like exchanges, everybody is focused on creating a more sustainable future and adapting to the public policy goals that we would see in the sustainable development goals, for example. The question, as Joe pointed out, is just time. When it comes to the environment, there's a clock ticking. Many social issues need to be addressed. They're unacceptable. They're horrible. But the entire planet doesn't die if they're not fixed in the next decade or two. When it comes to climate, we have a very tight timeline. And so that is difficult. The other thing that I would say that is a challenge, particularly on the energy transition, is if we're very specific, it's about fossil fuels. Not all fossil fuels are the same in terms of their trickiness. Coal, for example, 
is very challenging in emerging markets. And in a developing country, you can have a coal miner. They might support 20 other people. And now you're proposing to what? Put them out of business? What's the alternative? If you look in developed countries, they went through this period of a decline in coal jobs. A lot of that was caused by automation. But it was very difficult, challenging politically. And you still have quite depressed regions. But I would just to counter that, say that at the same time, the new industries and the new businesses associated with the energy transition, they need skilled people. They need, they create jobs as well. And in some areas, these are lacking. There's a deficit of people for these jobs. So again, it's perhaps also a problem of having to link up one area in one industry with another and retraining and so on that needs to happen. I don't think it's completely black and white. Thank you to UNCTAD's Joe Clements and Anthony Miller for being this week's guests. Tune in to the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. There's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now.